Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility presents the Vermont Conversation with David Goodman, exploring ideas with innovators, changemakers, business leaders, politicians, and activists. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by the Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. And nearly 700 VBSR business members who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Learn more at www.vbsr.org. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Today we're going to talk about the state of the media and civil liberties. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking with James Lyle. He is the director of the Vermont ACLU about a new poll of Vermonters uh, regarding their views on criminal justice reform and some recent big civil liberties wins uh, that have occurred in the courts. But first, we're going to talk about the state of journalism locally and nationally with Anne Galloway, the founder and editor of Vermont Digger. Vermont Digger is a statewide news website that publishes watchdog reports on state government, politics, consumer affairs, business, and public policy. This week, Vermont Digger was selected by the American Journalism Project as one of just 11 innovative local news providers to receive nearly a million dollars in grant support to continue its work. This conversation with Ann Galloway was recorded yesterday, and here it is. Ann Galloway, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Oh, thank you, David. It's great to be with you. It's an axiom among journalists that you never want to be the story, but we're going to make an exception this week because you uh, have a pretty big story to tell, some big news relating to VT Digger. So tell us about the grant that you just won. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, we um, recently awarded um, a grant from the American Journalism Project for $900,000 over three years. And the grant is contingent on um, our fulfilling certain milestones um, around our business office. The grant will enable us to hire more people in the business office and uh, develop our sustainable um, revenue sources, such as membership, underwriting, and e-commerce over the next three years. And uh, we really haven't had enough capacity in our business office over the past 10 years to really um, take VT Digger to the next level in terms of sustainability. So this will um, help us get there. And it's terribly exciting because there are only 11 uh, groups across the country that were selected, and uh, we're one of them. So it's a, it's a real privilege to be a part of it. 
You've described this as a transformative uh, grant for VT Digger. How so? Well, first and foremost, it will enable us to do a national search for a chief revenue officer. We need to develop leadership on the business side for all kinds of aspects of the business office that, um, under my leadership, really have not you know, grown as much as they could or should because the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm a reporter at heart and I don't have an MBA. And I've kind of taken, um, you know, this as far as I can with my limited business acumen. Um, I think I have pretty good instincts and I've been learning from other people in the field, but it would be wonderful to hire someone who has real expertise in this area. And I know someone out there must exist um, who can help us pioneer this effort. And so the leadership is really important. Um, and then we'll also have um, other people who will be hired as part of this grant to support the chief revenue officer and um, really um, begin to dig in um, on some of these uh, revenue-generating areas of promise that um, we hope will uh, enable us to become sustainable over the long haul and support the journalists in our newsroom. I mean, right now we have a pretty small business office um, it really um, only represents um, 20 to 25% of our total operation. And, you know, if you look at, at commercial newspapers or you look at Seven Days or even Vermont Public Radio, those ratios are kind of flipped. It's more um, of a 50-50 situation in the best-case scenario. And oftentimes, you'll see that newsrooms really are only represent 25 to 30% of an operation. And so we're terribly under-resourced on the business office side, and that's because we know that members and donors really like to support the journalism. So, And, and that's where um, the two things are really tied together. And um, But we know that we haven't invested enough in the business office. So th this is going to enable us to do that. And the American Journalism Project is also really committed to helping us develop the model, taking what we've got now, and um, not only helping us with the hires, with a national search for this chief revenue officer, but they're also really interested in helping us to develop the newsroom and the business office of the future, the news organization of the future, with a focus on readers. You know, Digger has always been a very reader-centered organization, and AJP um, believes in our, our approach to that, and they think that readers really should be uh, have a say in the way we report and what we're reporting on, and so we'll be working on that too. You know, we'll be finding new ways to involve readers and helping us decide what to cover. That happens all the time now, but people aren't aware of it because we get all these tips, you know, through the little tip form at the bottom of every story, and then people write to us, they call us, they, um, you know, they, they come with letters, they walk in the door, um, and we follow those tips as best we can. And um, we're just going to make that a more obvious process. And then we're also going to um, really take reader questions as we can um, about our reporting. So I think that involvement with readership will be really important also in our evolution of the newsroom and the business office. What is so different? You know, people hear you and reporters from VT Digger, uh, certainly on this air, on WDEV, uh, but they don't know perhaps anything about VT Digger. What is new and different about the VT Digger model? 
Oh, well, that's a great question. I mean, I worked in traditional newspapers before I started VT Digger. I was at the Times Argus and the Rutland Herald as the Sunday editor for about five years. And prior to that, I worked my way up from, you know, being a proofreader and copy editor and prospective section editor to that job. And um, one of the things that I found um, difficult about my position at the Rutland Herald and the Times Argus was that I was on I felt very kind of removed from the readers that we were serving and oftentimes I found that um, when people would call or they would suggest stories they weren't really listened to and I also found that we weren't really engaged in enterprise enterprise reporting in the way that I wanted us to be um, and um, so in, I started Digger in part not only because I lost my job in 2009 along with about 20 other people that year um, but also because I really felt strongly that um, people in Vermont needed to have um, better access to um, the kind of reporting that I felt would really help um, to change the state in a way. I mean, we I started covering the legislature because I felt people really needed to understand what was happening inside the state house and have access to the information they needed to make that call to write a letter, to send an email to a lawmaker, to even show up when they wanted to to influence legislation. I mean, I saw all these lobbyists in the building, and I didn't see so many members of the public. And I think that um, people need to have a say in the legislative process. It's ex- extremely important. I know there are a lot of advocacy groups that work with um, people around the state to bring them into the state house, but I think um, sometimes... It's good for people just to advocate for themselves, and um, and in some ways that's even more powerful than being a part of a group. And so that's really why we kind of embedded in the legislature, and from there we started um, really pursuing a number of investigative stories over time that came from readers. Um, recently we had a story about a company called Matrix Chem down in Grafton, And it was an amazing story because um, we found out that this little kind of fly-by-night company was mixing hazardous chemicals in a butler building in an industrial park outside Grafton. And uh, nobody knew about it. People were getting sick. And um, eventually VOSHA shut them down because um, it was a fire hazard. And there were no sprinkler systems. There There was nothing in place to protect the safety of the workers who were there. And they were selling chemicals to the Department of Defense. Nobody knew this was happening. Um, and that story came from a reader who emailed me and said, I heard through the grapevine that this is happening. Could you look into it? And we did. And we told that story. And, you know, it's not the happiest story in the universe, but the happy news is that, you know, nothing happened. There wasn't a fire. Vosha's on it. People are involved. And they're trying to figure out what's going on um, with chemical spills that have happened there and so on over time. So... Um, I like to think that when we can shine a light on problems like that, solutions emerge. You know, people respond and action is taken to protect the safety of the public. VT Digger, and for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the Vermont Conversation. And our guest this half hour is Anne Galloway, the founder of VT Digger, which just won a $900,000 grant to continue pioneering its nonprofit news model. We're speaking of VT Digger as a nonprofit model. You mentioned you came from the commercial news side. Um, 
it, this is the 10th anniversary of VT Digger. And as you just mentioned, you began it when you lost your job. Uh, so 20 people at the Times Argus were at Lynn Herald. Was that sort of the beginning of the downsizing that has continued to this day at the newspaper? Yes. I mean, I, I'm not sure, you know, how many staffers they have now. But when I was working at the Rutland Herald and the Times Argus, there were roughly 60 to 75 people working at both organizations, just in the newsrooms. Um, and, you know, they're down to skeleton crews at both places. They've closed their press bureau, which covered um, the state house. Um, they've pulled back from coverage in southern Vermont. And um, it's really quite tragic. And, you know, this is happening all over the country. It's not unique to the Times, Argus, and the Rutland Herald. Um, the Burlington Free Press is suffering from the same problem as um, our newspapers across the country, especially the dailies, the metro dailies around the country. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, people are migrating to the web. And newspapers didn't um, adapt quickly enough to those changes. And um, in the void, Google and Facebook uh, found a way to capture the audience and to deliver ads in a very effective way. And so now um, local media organizations really struggle to make the money they need to keep their newsrooms viable. And then it becomes this negative feedback loop. If you don't have the funding to support the journalists, you can't get the journalism done and you can't serve readers. And when I started Digger, we kind of did the opposite of that, right? We had good content, we uh, gradually grew an audience, and then we gradually grew support for the journalism. And I see it as kind of a virtuous spiral. And um, But why didn't you just quit? I mean, <laughs> losing your job is incredibly traumatic and depressing. And, you know, the stories are legion of you as this one-woman shop, you know, uh, going around the state house, shining a light in different hearing rooms and corners to tell the news. What even gave you the idea to do that? Well, I... Um I loved my job at the Times Argus and the Rutland Herald, and I had been going for years to investigative reporters and editors conferences, and I believed passionately in the public's right to know and in the freedom of the press and in the power of journalism to spark positive changes in the world. And when I was laid off, I was devastated because I worked really hard at my job, you know, and I, I couldn't believe I'd never been fired before. And I kind of was stunned, as anyone who's laid off is. And um, and I realized that this was an opportunity to do something different. I mean, for months I had been discouraged about our inability to move projects forward and to really dig into big issues that were affecting people in Vermont. And so I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I should try taking this on the web. And my husband... Um, was incredibly encouraging. He saw how depressed I was about the prospect of not being able to continue to pursue this work, which was really essential to who I am. It's, it's more than just a job for me. It's a vocation. And so he, w he encouraged me with some friends to start a little WordPress blog site. Um, and we played around with it, and I saw, oh, well, maybe this isn't so hard, you know. And 
Then um, I started to develop a business plan, and I called uh, more than a hundred people around the state of Vermont and outside of outside Vermont to get their feedback on the plan. And half the people I talked to said, "You're out of your mind," and the other half said, "How can I help?" And um, and I thought that was a positive sign, so I went for it. <laughs> this is this is the problem when I get any kind of encouragement. <laughs> so, what is the successful business model of the future as you see it for journalism? Um, as we all watch the traditional outlets, the newspapers struggle mightily to break out of this downward spiral and it's unclear you know here in vermont and beyond whether they can break out of that cycle um it's striking to me when you know i read you know many times a year of newspapers going down and these aren't just any newspapers these are like 150 year old newspapers like the times picayune in new orleans i mean these are institutions in their city that uh, you know that no longer published at least in a hard copy version. So what's the business model that you think is going to make it? Well, I mean, I think it's to be determined. I I heard um, Dean Dean Baquet say recently that um, he thought every newspaper, local newspaper, daily newspaper in America, would likely go under in the next three to four years. And, you know, he leads the, he's the executive editor of the New York Times, and the Times has a very successful model, um, and they're still commercial. And they can do that because they have a national audience, and they've been very savvy. They've worked very hard to develop this porous paywall situation that enables them to um, reach readers for 10 stories or fewer a month, and then they develop that whole model. And um, they've also been savvy about their podcast and video. So they've left some breadcrumbs for the rest of us. Um, But it's different on the local level. And here's how. You know, when you're competing with Google and Facebook and you're a local news organization, say, you know, you're a Northeast Kingdom newspaper with 3,000 readers. Well, it's damned hard to um, sell online advertising for such a small readership. You know, it's really hard uh, to make the case that you can do this for a reasonable price online. And print advertising has, has always been sold at a premium. And for decades, you know, newspaper, newspapers made an 18 percent uh, ROI, you know, for investors. And that's just no longer the case. So I think the commercial model um, no longer is viable. And I think nonprofit is the way to go. Membership is one of the keys. You know, we're trying to develop a readership funnel in which we're trying to attract new people to our site all the time who value our news. We try to get people to subscribe to our newsletters because we know that people who subscribe to email are more likely to give. Uh, and then we're trying to expand our membership program. And if we can get more people to give monthly over time, that's going to be really key to our success. So in the past year, we've gone from 558 monthly Members, people who give monthly, um, to more than a thousand, and that is so essential to our long-term success because that's base funding for us. We can count on that 
um, membership support year over year in a way that, you know, we wouldn't be necessarily be able to count on one-time gifts from folks, although we value that too, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's really um, that kind of consistent support from readers is going to become more and more essential. Um, we are also working on selling underwriting. Um, even though commercial advertising, I believe, is um, not enough to support any news organization solely, it has to be part of the mix. We really need um, people in the business community to support the work we're doing. And so we've worked very hard to develop underwriting tools that um, have the click-through rates, that same click-through rate that Google can offer, you know, through geo-targeting and through um, some of these uh, tag managers and things like that that really um, enable underwriters to reach our readers in a way that they couldn't before. And so that's hugely important. We're trying to grow that program. And then we also have some e-commerce products that we're developing. Um, you've probably seen them. We offer obituaries. We have a press release portal. And then we're developing a jobs classified section that we believe will also um, provide us with opportunities to engage the community in other ways, too, um, that um, we're, we intend to make a little bit of money on over time. These are reader services that we believe um, can help generate a little bit of revenue and attract people who wouldn't otherwise find our news. Um, so we're, we're trying to provide some useful services in addition to um, some of the local news that we're, we're publishing every day. What are some of the stories that you are proudest of that VT Digger has broken? And again, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Ann Galloway, the founder of VT Digger, the nonprofit news service. Oh, gosh. Well, um, I'm extremely proud of our reporting and editing team. You know, um, we're a daily news organization, and we produce, um, I think, on a given day, between eight and ten original stories, and that's four times as much as our some of the other folks in the field, like Vermont Public Radio or Seven Days. And so, on top of that iterative coverage, where we're you know going after the same topic over and over again um, until we beat it to the ground, you know, especially if it's investigative in nature, you know, we want to make sure that we're you know going the last mile in every story. Um, you know, we're also doing investigative pieces that are, are really important. And the stories I'm most proud of um, include things like, um, you know, we, we um, wrote about Huawei technology being used um, by First Light, which was something that the governor had said, you know, he really didn't want um, technology companies in Vermont using. We exposed that. Um, First Light, which was an underwriter for us, um, pulled their funding, um, and uh, we continued to report on it until the issue kind of played itself out, you know, and the Public Utilities Commission did an investigation of First Light and so on. And so we covered that to the bitter end. Um, you know, the same is true um, of our reporting on a variety of topics, including uh, the Vermont National Guard sexual misconduct series that we did last year. We followed that right to the end um, until um, changes happened um, to the Guard. Um, there was a new general, who came, adjutant general, who was named as a result um, in part of because of our series. Um, and um, there were investigations of some of the individuals who um, 
uh, were named in the series. So um, that's um, we've we've also um, uncovered allegations of potential loan fraud uh, by Jane Sanders at Burlington College. Um, we've written more than 250 stories about the Jay Peak fraud. Uh, and we continue to cover that. I mean, that story, you know, just goes on and on and on. And that's what I mean by going the last mile. I don't know when that one's going to end. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're still uh, in the throes of trying to figure out who knew what when uh, on the state level. And then there are things that we've been covering for years that, um, you know, are more global in nature. You know, for example, we've been covering One Care Vermont and UVM Health Network. These are topics that affect a lot of people um, and that are difficult to cover because there's a serious lack of transparency there. Um, and so we continue to dig in and um, try to keep our eyes on the prize, you know, which is um, basically um, figuring out um, to what extent those entities are um, serving or not serving the public at large. Do you find that the, you know, when we have President Trump talking about the press as enemies of the people, uh, now an overtly hostile relationship between many political figures and the press who feel that they have permission now to stonewall or attack journalists, has that trickled down to the work that you're doing here in Vermont? Oh, it it has. I mean, I think that... Um one of the most disturbing things that I've noticed is that even local state reps on occasion will kind of close ranks and refuse to speak to the, the press and offer statements instead of having an open interview or conversation with the reporter, which is terribly distressing. I mean, I think there's been a real lockdown on access at every level in state government, and it really started before Trump. Um, these things are, you know, I don't know what the ratio is of um, PR professionals to journalists, but PR professionals outnumber us <laughs> uh, in a big way. And um, those folks are having more and more of an impact on um, our ability to get answers from public officials. And, um, you know, I remember when I was covering the EB-5 case, um, prior to the SEC bringing charges against the developers, Governor Peter Shumlin, you know, compared us with the National Enquirer and um, treated us really badly, um, in, a, in a very Trumpian fashion before Trump, you know, was president. So, I mean, I think that, um, you know, shooting the messenger is a, is a time-honored uh, tradition. <laughs> You know, I do get disturbed when I hear about, uh, you know, reporters having to stand behind pens uh, in in the Senate. Um, you know, they, they don't have access to uh, senators as they're going to the uh, Im impeachment trial and that sort of thing. That's a real infringement of press freedoms. And I think, you know, I remember when uh, Michelle and Barack Obama on separate occasions came to Vermont they were very worried about security, and they had pens. They caged up the journalists in both instances. That's very common now. Uh, that certainly happens uh, for Trump events, too. Um, so, you know, it's not even a partisan issue, really. It's about power, um, regardless of um, who is in power. And it's really distressing because reporters are on the front lines for the public, 
And unfortunately, because we've been bad-mouthed so much and for so long, um, people have forgotten our purpose. And um, we're really we're really here for, for readers and for citizens of this country. And without, you know, with, without press freedoms, we're, we're all in trouble. Well, Anne Galloway, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Anne Galloway is the founder and editor of Vermont Digger.